welcome to Stat. I'm telling you all medical true crime stories, and it gets bizarre. Karen Wickham, yeah, she used to work in the R, and now she's sharing the knowledge. So let's get involved. Hey, funny and scary at the same time. Medical mysteries, all facts. She ain't lying. <laughs> so tune in to Stat if you dare, 'cause crazy things can happen anytime, anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to STAT, Shocking Traumas and Treatments. And we are your hosts, Karen. And Erica. She forgot her name. Sometimes I do. Or sometimes I want to call myself something else, but Erica's pretty good. Is there another name that we can refer to you as? I'm going to stick with Erica. I like Erica. 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 Kren and Erica. Kren and Erica. No, just Kren. K R E N Cran and Erica. Cran and My name's Cran. Welcome to WPI WPI Cincinnati. This is Cran and Erica. No, it doesn't work. CFM CFMY Toronto. This is Cran and Erica. Sounds better. Oh my God, we're good. We got it. Okay. Well, anyway, it is time. To finish up this damn swango bullshit. Episode five. It's going to be a little long, but it's jam packed. So if you have something that is time consuming today, I would suggest that you listen to this one. Okay. I would too. Erica is kind of looking at me like, how long is it going to be? I am. I'm like this. She's got, I said, she's like, it's going to be a little long. And I'm like, well, how long? And she's like, I I wrote it 37 pages. And I'm like, motherfucker. In small writing. Yeah. So there was a lot left. But I think I think I think I've got this. We've got this. We got it. Okay, so we last left off with Swango getting back into Kristen's life, unfortunately. You know how good he is at uh convincing people, conning people. Manipulating, yeah. Yeah. And she was already vulnerable anyway yeah and she's had shitty relationships and you know it's that's a really weak period in her life so i'm sure he just no obviously he took advantage of that yeah he had also applied for a psychiatric residency at the state university of new york s-u-n-y that's what i'm going to call it from now on it was 1993 and swango had been researching and applying to as many hospital residency positions as he could and funny enough he didn't have a lot to choose from surprise surprise go figure Dr. Ellen Miller was the director of the psychiatric program at SUNY, and he was a highly respected psychiatrist who was a former state commissioner of mental hygiene under New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller. So, smart dude, just like the other smart dudes. Yeah. The applications for the psychiatric residency were subpar, uh, mostly because there wasn't a lot of jobs in psychiatry at that time. And so people that weren't getting accepted elsewhere were uh, desperately applying to uh, this residency. And, you know, he went to the prestigious Ohio State and, uh, you know, um, a university for his uh, residency and stuff like that. So, you know, it looked like... It looked good. Oh, like this is what almost like, what's this guy doing here yeah. kind of thing, right? So this was the perfect opportunity for Swango. Um, so he beefed up his application, of course, and it looked really good to Dr. Miller. So Swango was invited for an interview on April the 27th, 1993. Swango met with Dr. Miller, the chairman of the Department of Psych- Psychiatry and Dr. Fitz, and one other professor. They were impressed by the least important traits of a doctor. Good looking, charming, and well smoke spoken. Well smoking. Well smoking. He was smoking. <laughs> he definitely wasn't smoking. 
No, he wasn't. Again, I reiterate, I think he was not an attractive man. I think once you know something about somebody, like, you know that they're just a piece of shit, that, like, anything that may be attractive completely goes away. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, the other one I don't understand is uh, a Ted Bundy. They go on about how good looking he is. He, he is wasn't. Not good. No. If anything, these are like average dudes. But women are, are yeah, like women throw themselves at him. It's it, or did. Yeah, and that's like for like completely different reasons. Yeah. But it's like they like the bad boy. But I, I don't. I don't. They're 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 messed up too. Yeah. Obviously. So uh, Swango broke the news uh, to the panel about his jail time. He did it in his usual way, playing the victim and telling a story full of lies. Doctor Miller found his statement disarming and candid. Miller was given three references and he only checked one. Basically, he just confirmed that he had graduated uh, from SIU and no other, you know, info was given. No other questions were asked. He did not know about his license being suspended in Ohio and Illinois. And even though he was put in jail for assault and battery or at least assault, uh, they didn't check. With the prison authorities or the police or anything about this. Yeah, that's crazy. They didn't try to find out um, what he'd been doing in the years since his release from prison. So if you, I think he was 37 at the time here, which is like getting up there for a resident. Um, He told them nothing of his dismissal from his residency at South Dakota. And they were told nothing about his poisonings. So what all they knew was that poor dude got in a fight. He was a, you know, miscarriage of justice. And you know what? Do I want a guy who punches people out in psychiatry? Well, that's it. But not a doctor, like doctor period, you know, but psychiatry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So Dr. Miller and his cohorts seemed even less concerned about Swango than Dr. Salem did back at, uh, in South Dakota. The poor guy deserved a second chance. Oh, poor buddy. Yeah. On June 1st, 1993, Swango was formally accepted as one of the 12 psychiatric residents at SUNY Sunnybrook. There we go. Congrats. Wow. On the home front, Kristen had had a brief improvement in mood. Um, it felt like moving forward into New York would be a fresh start uh, for them individually. She decided to stay back in South Dakota. Um, sorry, in Virginia. And uh, so she can heal from her poisonings. Yeah. And he moved on to New York. She wanted to see how things went for him in New York first, because, as you know, he doesn't keep jobs very long because he's a psycho serial killer and liar. He'll kill somebody in a couple minutes and once he's there and he'll have to. So, yeah. Why give up the place? Fucking idiot. So Kristen's parents were increasingly concerned. Uh, The more they saw Kristen... um, like when when they did see her, Swango was always present, and he was arrogant and boastful, and and Kristen barely spoke. Like he didn't let her speak; he spoke over top of oh, her. I, yeah, yeah. No. So Swango rented a room in Center Reach, Long Island, from a woman by the name of Carol Tambaro, a landlady who usually rented to university students, and she, of course, liked him immediately. Swango changed his name to Jack Kirk. After Captain Kirk on Star Trek. It sounds like a porn name. Yeah. Jack Kirk. Hi, I'm Jack Kirk. Yeah. Um, his first assignment was in internal medicine at the VA hospital in Northport, Long Island. So even though he's there for a psychiatric residency, they have to go through different areas, right? Yeah. So what does this guy get right off the bat? 
Herpes. <laughs> oh, an internal medicine <laughs> residency. Oh, <laughs> even though Swango had uh, a rent- rented a room, he also moved into the VA hospital. Uh, he rented a storage room as well. So he has an apartment, a room in the hospital, as well as a storage locker. What did he need that for? But you know, do you know why he wanted the room at the VA hospital? Why? Because it gave him more access to patients. Oh, yeah. I, didn't, I wouldn't even think of that. Yeah. Everyone seemed to like Swango at the hospital. He seemed to uh, have a strong set of skills. And he carried on with his for, uh, phony, charming self. One of Swango's first patients was a man by the name of Dominic Buffalino, a highly respected man. I wonder if he's Italian. I Buffalino. think so. It's <laughs> a cool last name. I was it thinking. Is. Yeah. Um, a World War II vet, an organizer of the Long Island Republican Party, and a construction su- supervisor. He had been admitted to the hospital with a chest infection, and there were concerns that he might be developing pneumonia. When Swango met Mr. Buffalino, he was stable. He was being treated with IV antibiotics. And his wife, Mrs. Buffalo, stayed at his bedside. They had never been apart a day in their life. They just were totally in love and she never left his side. Barf. So Mrs. Buffalino found Swank to be pleasant and competent. Did you like that? Oh, barf. I, I see this is going in a bad direction, but please. <clears throat> please. So, um, so she seemed to like... Uh, Swango. As Mrs. Buffalino was getting ready to visit her husband, she got a call. So she met him that day, went home that night. She was getting ready to go see him the next day. She got a call from Swango and he said coldly to her, I'm sorry to inform you, your husband is dead. We didn't expect him to expire. That's it. We didn't expect him to expire. That's such a nice way (laughs) of basically saying, well, like, I killed him. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Mrs. Buffalino and her brother-in-law, Andrew Buffalino, went to the hospital. Mrs. Buffalino was in shock and fell apart, and she couldn't believe that her beloved husband had died. Uh, Through the haze um, of mourning, Mrs. Buffalino remembered hearing that Mr. Buffalino had become suddenly and unexplainably paralyzed, and it made no sense. So he was there for pneumonia. Yeah, like... And then he becomes paralyzed. Yeah, which is weird. Like, not respiratory depression or arrest or cardiac yeah, or some, sepsis. Yeah. Like, no, he got he was paralyzed? Hmm. Something like what happened to uh, the other lady, uh, Ruth, um, uh, at uh, the other hospital. Yeah. Remember? So, uh, so, yeah, so there's uh, victim number one. Now, Kristen's health had changed drastically. Even though she had a little upswing, um... She had become deeply depressed and she was financially drained because Swango had wiped out all her bank accounts and she didn't know how she was going to survive. And her parents were very concerned about her. On the evening of July 14th, a neighbor later reported that she heard Kristen screaming and sobbing in her apartment. Uh, They believed that she was on the phone as they didn't see anybody come or didn't hear anybody in her apartment. So it sounded like, you know, it was a one way conversation. She was hysterical. Yeah. Afterwards, she called her mother, and Sharon was alarmed by the state of Kristen's mood. She begged Kristen to come stay with them, and she said, No, Mom, I'm fine. I love you. Regardless of Kristen's insistence that she was fine, Sharon and Elle decided to visit Kristen the next day. When they arrived, she didn't answer the door or her phone, and her truck was not there. Where did she go? Oh, I think I know where this is going. They drove to her favorite places. (laughs) 
when they failed to locate her, they called the hospital to see if she was there. And they said that she had called in sick. So the hospital where she worked. Um, then they were exhausted. They went home. They went to bed. And they were like, we'll, we'll go look for her the next day. The next morning, they received a call from the Newport police. They were told to meet them at the police station. It was about Kristen. Uh, they would not tell them why they needed to see them, but to get there immediately. Right. Their minds were racing as to what had happened, but nothing would prepare them for what the police were to tell them. They were told that Kristen had been found shot through the chest and she had been found under a tree at a park. Sharon demanded to see her daughter, but they said they couldn't as she was at uh, the medical examiner's office. Sharon was shown a picture of her dead daughter's face to identify and she collapsed into sobs. Kristen had left suicide notes, four suicide notes. And I honestly believe that these might have been influenced by Swango. I have a feeling he was there. Like he had something to do with it. Whether he pushed her into, I mean, she, he had been poisoning her with nicotine, which oh, right. causes depression. She was in a, he had wiped her out financially. He was like a fucking mentally abusing her, if not physically abusing right. her. Well, physically abusing her by poisoning her. You'd think. And I I really, I think he was there. This is just my theory. He was there or he was in on this. Yeah. So listen to these notes and you tell me what you think. Okay. First one. I am happy. I am finally happy. My greatest joy in my life has been my work. I loved my patients and many loved me back. I never felt better than when I was taking care of a critical patient. I excelled and I cherished it. So it sounds like something. Yeah, it sounds yeah. nice. Next one. Please make sure Michael gets some money to hold him to the end of July. I love you both so much. I just didn't want to be here anymore. Just found day-to-day living a constant struggle with my thoughts. I'd say I'm sorry, but I'm not. I feel that sense of peace of mind I've been looking for. It's nice. Take care. Go travel more. Love, KK. Here's the third note. Michael, I love you more. You are the most precious man I've ever known. Love, KK. Fourth note. I want Michael to have all my belongings. Kristen L. Kinney. So they start to sound a bit suspicious. Yeah, they do. Like she didn't. It sounds like maybe she wrote the first two and then the last two. Like he had something to do with them. Oh, I, yeah. re- I really think so. When Sharon got home, she called Swango. Uh, and broke the news to him. And all he said was, I'm sorry, when's the funeral? In a cold and blunted voice. At Kristen's funeral, there was an outpouring of sympathy and love from Sharon and Kristen's friends from work and and, and family and just everybody who knew her. Sw- uh, Swango showed, but he just stood in the background stiffly and said nothing. At the end, Sharon gave Swango $200 she gave the bastard money because she promised her daughter she would do so. And Kristen's favorite necklace. This is what Swango said to her, the mother, the grieving mother. I would have thought Kristen would have handled this better. Yeah. That's nice. That's sweet. Hurt and angry, she said back to him, how dare you? I'm her mother. And this is after she had just given her him money and her necklace. I would have punched him in the throat. It's just such a... Ugh. But when you're a kind person and you're in mourning, like, I guess you don't think of those things. Yeah, I guess you don't, but... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's a little... I mean, I, I, I'd i be in mourning, but I don't know if I'd be so kind. I just want to, like, drill him. Yeah. Oh, 
I don't know how long he would be around, you know. Yeah. If my son had, like, a, a, a piece of shit in his life, I would do everything I could to make sure that uh, oh, me too. they weren't welcome. Yeah, me too. When Kristen's parents went to her apartment two days after the funeral, they found it cleaned out. It was completely bare except for some pictures and a lock of hair. How kind. So he took everything. They didn't even have a chance to go through her clothes or pick yeah. out items. Like, he just took it all. Like, he's scumbag. And they waited a couple days because they just couldn't bear. I mean, they just find out that, that her daughter, daughter is yeah. murdered. And they're like, I can't go. I can't look at those things, yeah. right? There was one other thing that he left behind. A huge telephone bill uh, that he caused because he made so many long-distance phone calls. Obviously, he was scrambling around to see where he could go and stuff like that. So, takes everything, says it should have handled it better, and takes money, and then leaves him a massive bill. Oh, what a prick. It was everyone's belief that it was Swangle that put her over the edge. Uh, you know, I, I I think he killed her. Yep. Why he poisoned her, put her into a depression, and I think pushed her over the edge. Yep. He, kn- he knew what he was doing. Oh, for sure he did. Um, meanwhile, Dr. Kirk was on the prowl, narrowing in on a large pool of victims at the hospital. 61-year-old Baron Harris, an otherwise healthy man, had been uh, admitted on September 29th, 1993, to the VA hospital for pneumonia. He was a cabinet maker and had a loving wife, five children, and two grandchildren. When Baron and his wife, Elsie, met Swango, they were very impressed by the good-looking, charming, and attentive doctor. A couple of days later, Mrs. Harris arrived to find her husband in restraints, stating that he had become suddenly agitated. So, what did he give him? Swango was at the bedside and told Elsie Harris that he had given her husband a sedative to settle him. Bullshit. Yeah. Right. The next day, Mrs. Harris arrived to find the room dark with the blinds drawn and Swango injecting the contents of a large syringe into his neck. Yeah, like... Neck? Did she say anything? Like, was she like, what are you putting in here? Yeah, Mrs. Harris asked him what it was, and he said it was vitamins. Uh, I don't know. Uh, let's, let's inject some thick, syrupy vitamins into your jugular. <laughs> oh, my God. It's not like he had a central line. No. <laughs> when he was done, he removed the needle and left the room. Said nothing more. So she was like, what is going on, right? Um, and why were the blinds drawn and all that kind yeah. of stuff? So, you know, this sneaky bastard was like sliming in there. Sticking this guy in the neck, who was now tied up. He couldn't fight for himself. And confused. Oh, my God. Mrs. Harris told the nurse about Swango injecting vitamins into her husband's neck. The nurse was surprised and said that she must be mistaken because only nurses give injections. And rarely doctors ever did. Yeah, I mean, doctors r- do sometimes, but pretty much. It's it, rare. Unless it's an emergency, even then they throw out orders and nurses do pretty much yeah. the rest. A couple of days later, things had gotten worse. Uh, she arrived to find her husband unconscious and on a respirator. The following suspicious interaction took place. Swango met with Mrs. Harris and said, I hope it's nothing I did. And she said, what are you talking about? And he said, he's in a coma and I know he's not coming out of it. So basically, your husband's going to die. Oops, sorry. I hope it's nothing I did. Yeah. What a prick. Like, why would you? Now, can you imagine how vulnerable this woman is? Oh, This is five kids, 
great, like nice life together, grandchildren, otherwise healthy cabinet maker, everything else, pneumonia, getting better, boom, in restraints, boom, getting in something injected into his neck. Now he's unconscious and he's in a coma. So he convinced her to sign a DNR. So a DNR stands for do not, yeah, you know, do not resuscitate. resuscitate. So she does, you know, she's not thinking straight and, you know, and and she's, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with signing uh, a DNR if, you know, someone is, is brain dead or, you know, uh, you know, the last stage cancer. I mean, there are reasons for it. I totally get it. But, you know, he just jumped all over this. Um, and he was really cold and, and smug about it. Now, let's go back to Sharon Cooper, Kristen's mother. Couldn't stop thinking about Swango and his role he played in his daughter's death. She knew that he was working as a medical resident under false pretenses and that he hadn't told anyone about his felony conviction in jail time. She wanted to tell someone, but she was afraid of Swango. Like, what's Understandably. He yeah. So Sharon had been in close contact with a close friend of Kristen's in South Dakota. She told the friend about her concerns with obviously him working under false pretenses. She also gave her Swango's new address in New York. Alarmed and understanding the significance of this, the friend took the letter directly to Dr. Talley, the Dean of Medicine at USD. Remember? Right. Yeah. He believe, I think he found out from the AMA. Yeah. Right. So Dr. Talley immediately called the Dean of Medicine at SUNY, uh, Jordan Cohen, and told him all about Swango and the the Justice Files uh, show and uh, the fallout from that. Now, Dr. Ellen Miller Miller was then informed of everything, and he was stunned. He contacted Swango at the VA hospital and told him that he would um, need to see him right away. Swango arrived 15 minutes later. Miller told Swango about all that he knew about him and his criminal past and suspension and suspicious deaths that he was involved in. Swango paled, which is surprising. He put on his remorseful and victimy face and um, admitted that he had been convicted for poisoning, but wrongfully through jealousy, right? Oh, yeah. Miller suspended Swango's residency immediately. Swango was back in Miller's office the next day begging to be given another chance. He just doesn't get it. He really doesn't. Miller refused. Swango asked Miller what he was going to do with his life. Like, now what am I going to do with my life? Miller, and this is one of those things where, you know, when you you just hear something click and you know, why was he given ideas? Miller said it was unlikely that he would ever practice medicine unless he went to a country that was desperate for doctors. So what are you doing saying this to this guy? Uh, yeah, he probably wasn't even. Thinking. Let's go sick him on an, on a on a poor country that's desperate for doctors. That's that's great. Even more vulnerable yeah. people. So that seed was planted into Swango's sick mind, and uh, it would leave and it would lead to even more deaths. News broke in Newsday, and the entire front page was dedicated to the story. Uh, the headline was "Poison in His Past: Hospital Fires MD After Learning He Fed Ant Killer to Paramedics." And then it further read, "A young doctor sent to prison for feeding ant poison to paramedics in Illinois and investigated by authorities for suspicious pa- patient deaths in Ohio was hired at the University Hospital at Stony Brook, where officials now say he lied about his criminal past." So it's in another paper. So, like, how many news articles are written on this guy at this point in shows, right? So did they, uh, at this point, they know he's a psychopath. They know he's done there. So why didn't they, 
Are they looking into suspicious deaths now at their hospitals? At the VA hospital? When Elsie Harris went back to the hospital to see her husband, she found out about Swango. And after reading the Newsday article, she rushed to the hospital and demanded an explanation. None was given. Surprise, surprise. All doctors in the ICU denied knowledge, uh, but did say that Swango was not responsible for her husband's grave condition. How could they say that, though, when they don't... Okay, next question. Did, was there an autopsy performed on her husband? We'll get to that. Oh, you're so smart. You're way ahead of it. So Baron Harris died on November the 8th, 1983. So he hadn't yet died yet. So I guess she was there saying, what the hell is going on? And they're like, well, I mean, he happens to be in here, but, uh, you know, not because of anything that Swango did. So Baron Harris died on November 8th, 1993. The cause of death was diagnosed as cardiopulmonary failure secondary to encephalitis okay okay so i can see okay but how how did he go from getting confused being having to be restrained to all all of these things like come on i guess they're saying okay maybe he went septic and he got encephalitis and this is what led to it so all right and this is why it's so hard to catch a serial killer in a hospital because so many things can mimic other things if someone's already unwell or has complications and there's mimic, uh, you know medications that can be given that mimic other symptoms yes. that are related the VA hospital went into damage control the chief of staff Thomas Horvath announced at a press conference that they had gone through 147 patient records and nothing untowards was found quote no suspicious deaths or illnesses and the rate of complications did not change during swango's tenure and that as a first-year residence he had no independent patient responsibilities only yes it did he was sticking quote, vitamins in Buddy's neck. So how can you say he wasn't ever alone with these patients? Yeah. So none of that was true. He had injected and murdered Mr. Buffalino and Mr. Harris and has a whole hospital full of vulnerable patients to do whatever he wanted to do. And he was, you know, including poisoning staff. Yeah, that's crazy. Furthermore, the medical school dean lied when he stated that, quote, we are also mindful of the natural concern the public has expressed about whether Swango has caused any harm to the patients and staff during his employ. Patient care activities were closely monitored and contemporaneously supervised by teaching attending staff. And then he went on to say that the VA's quality assurance system uncovered no untowards events that revealed nothing that would lead us to conclude that any patient was unharmed. Only there was. That's insane. I have a question. Like, so, I mean, <clears throat> this shows you cover-ups, 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 cover-ups. Yeah, but nobody's seeing it. Uh, and it's like, you can say all that, only it did happen. But only he was left alone. Only he did inject people. Only policies weren't followed. But I think that they, the reason why they're covering it up is because they know that they didn't do the proper oh, background checks course. and everything that they it's needed CYA, to do. It's CYA. Cover your ass. Damage control. Yep. It's bullshit. So Dr. Miller was fired. Even though he did hire Swango, it was not all of his fault. He was a scapegoat. So Cohen announced to the press that uh, that that they fired him. They also went on about how much of a great school SUNY Stony Brook was and putting full responsibility on Dr. Miller. 
However, two weeks later, Cohen resigned, not before faxing a letter to the dean of every medical school in the country. Finally, he's telling he's people, done something. Yeah. So out of all the universities and, and hospitals so far, they're actually doing something. Someone did get fired. They let him go. Cohen resigned because he's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to get fired eventually or um, I, I can't totally make this guy the fall guy I, right. I, I it's not fair i gotta get out too and this is what he wrote quote in reviewing our records i was chagrined to find that swango had again conned very experienced faculty with outright lies about his past he is an exceedingly charming young man who can weave a very convincing story that elicits sympathy and compassion i bring this matter to your attention because i think we must assume that he will try yet again to secure a residency position of some kind somewhere end of quote so at least yeah he said and he said that to every so at least he's screwed trying to get a job in the united states but that's if someone actually reads it too though like you know they're faxed off and oftentimes just like oh yeah i'm put aside whatever but he did it right during the time before he was let go swango had began dating several women even before Kristen's death what a pig yeah he was um so believe it or not he was given a going away party given by some of his new girlfriends oh isn't that sweet Okay, so enter the FBI, finally. Were they there to investigate the murder? No. They were there to investigate him on fraud charges. That he had defrauded SUNY and the VA by making false statements in his application, which is a federal offense. But no arrest warrant was issued. Oh, so he can just leave the country. Yeah. By the time the FBI showed up, Swango had moved everything out of his residences and cleared out his locker. So, okay, we're going to get involved for fraud. Are we going to put in a a arrest warrant? Nah. So, Swango headed to his friend from the hospital in South Dakota that he had met. This Bert G. Right. This was the guy that um, was going to help him. Uh, He was the human resources guy part of the union. Yep. And... And at that time, he was living in Atlanta. When Kristen's parents saw the most recent article about Swango, they contacted the FBI themselves and told them that they had a good idea as to where Swango might be. Not only was Swango living in Atlanta with Bert G, but he had also rented out another storage locker. So I'd like to know what he had in those Kristen's belongings that he cleared out her apartment. Actually, no. Um, I don't really cover it because there is a lot to cover, but I am going to post some pictures, um, on our, our site that, um, it was full. It was an arsenal of weapons and poisons. Like this guy was eventually like going to go for broke. Like I think he was looking, he was obsessed with mass murder. So that's what they found eventually when they got into his locker. Um, So, yeah, there's that. So the FBI began to surveil his locker, and the FBI needed the Coopers' help. They wanted them to file a civil lawsuit claiming that Swango had stole Kirsten's belongings. But they didn't want to do it because they felt that they'd be lying. Right. Because they had the, you know, like her will kind of that was left. And, but if they did that, they would able to be able to get a summons to uh, search the locker, but they didn't feel comfortable doing that. Um, on February 24th, 1994, while living with G, Bert G, he took a job as a chemist at a company called, <laughs> wait till you hear this. This is just terrifying. He took, 
a job as a chemist at a company called Photo Circuits, just outside of um, Atlanta. He used his name, Jack Kirk. So where he worked at Photo Circuits was at the wastewater treatment. Oh, my God. At that facility. So given his obsession with mass murder and poisonings, he could have killed tens of thousands more. Yeah. So the FBI were really freaking out about that, so um, that he might poison the water supply. So they contacted Photo Circuits and they fired him immediately. Like, you know, he weasels his way into to not only a job where he can get his hands on chemicals, but like the waste, like water, water treatment. Well, I'm glad he was fired so quickly. Yeah. So Swango moved on to Florida. And he contacted a former friend of Kristen's and poured out a sob story. So this this lady was by the name of Tracy Dunlap. She was a nurse that had worked with Kristen in um, South Dakota. And, you know, he called her up and said that he was grieving and he had no support and no place to live and needed someone to, to talk to. The next day, after she got home from work, her answering machine was full of messages from him. Concerned, she called the Coopers. They warned her to stay away from him, not to even talk to him, not to let him anywhere near her. Though she threw caution to the wind and allowed him to visit her that night at home. They talked all night and she thought that he seemed like a what? Honest and pleasant young man. Yes. She felt sorry for him. So Tracy was moving the next day into a house with a couple of friends. He offered to help move them because he has this truck which was Kristen's truck that's gross so he's like oh i'll help you move and he slept on the couch that night and never left so yeah he helped her move then he slept on the couch last night and never left the place uh he used a closet uh to store his little bit of gear that he had and basically slept on the couch and as it went on pretty quickly he was no longer the honest gentleman she first met Freaked out, she asked him to leave, but he refused. The the roommates decided to look into his uh, past because they knew little about this guy. Right. They found the newspaper articles about him and they were shocked. So Dunlap called the Florida police and said that they um, told him all about this guy and what was going on. And they're like, oh, we don't have any beef with him in Florida. And uh, so he took off again. Then the FBI said, well, wait a minute. Well, we do have a a concern with this guy, but it was too little, too late. He already left. So, like, where's the communication here? And where did he go, Karen? Yeah, and if she's like, oh, guess what? Uh, So he did this here, did this here, jail time, did this here, did this here, lie, fraud, blah, 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 blah. He's here now. Uh, We don't have a beef. He's fine in Florida. So he moved back in with Bert G for a tiny little while. He was caught on surveillance at his facility at the, uh, and the FBI was notified. On October 27th, 1994, the FBI issued a warrant um, on charges of defrauding a federal facility. The VA hospital, by gaining admission... Oh, sorry. On October 27th, 1994, the FBI finally issued a warrant for Swango's arrest on charges of defrauding a federal facility, the VA hospital. And by gaining admission to Stony Brook Residency Program on false pretenses. So when they did uh, raid his locker, it was full of ammunition, guns, uh, like, I guess, flak gear. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, Bowie knot, like, you name it. It was full of that and poisons and stuff. So at least now they have an arrest warrant on this guy. Yeah. 
So they, you know, at least can arrest him, stop him for a little while. So what does he do? Flees the country. Here we go. Okay. So Swango arrived in Zimbabwe in November 1994. He had been hired to work at the Menen Mission Hospital. Dr. Christopher Zajuri was the director of the hospital, and he was happy to have a new doctor from America. Howard Mapufu, a church official, drove Swango from the airport to the hospital and noticed that he had a strange twist twitch in his face. So he picks up this new doctor and he's like, you know, twitchy face. What's wrong with your face? And he was like talking nonstop. So he's like, twitch face, twitch face. So, um, and although Dr. Zajiri was happy to have the new charming and skilled doctor, he was skeptical as to why he wanted to work at such a remote and bare bones hospital. I mean, this guy was like, even there in a remote hospital, he knew about Ohio State and, oh, yeah. and everything like that, right? So, oh, Swank, so it's, it's a little, it's kind of a little complicated here. Basically, he had been hired directly from a Lutheran pr- placement organization in Harare, which is a, a, a city there. So there's an organization called Options, which specializes in placing American doctors in foreign countries. Right. The Lutheran Church helped support this hospital in Menen, and they hired Swango to um, work at the hospital. Right. So it's it's a little kind of complicated. He had provided them with his medical school diploma, um, old recommendations, which he had doctored so that they said that he got them in 1994. So he graduated in 1983. These were the recommendations from 1983, and he said, and then he dated them 1994 and you know he had trouble performing simple surgeries and delivering babies obviously because he hadn't really done anything in 11 years yeah and at this point he's pushing 40 so his excuse was that well you know i did a neurosurgery residency why would i know how to do any of that stuff of course they went oh that makes sense oh and just another excuse but to make up for it he was sent to do a five-month internship in mipilo hospital in Balawayo, to improve his skills in OBGYN. But Pilo Hospital is a very busy healthcare facility. Um, its, its patient population tends to be very poor, and it was terribly understaffed. And if you can imagine at the time, it, there was a big AIDS epidemic. Like, we were just starting to figure out, oh, yeah. you know, like, you know, in the 80s, it was really starting to rear its ugly head. And, and in, like, a poor country where it was not um you know not as much money not as much uh you know like support it was really a big it's still a big epidemic but uh even more so it was just totally overwhelming the community so the superintendent dr Navath chebva was very impressed with swango history, of course yes of course <laughs> history had shown that swango was a great at first impressions and he was welcomed with open arms he was assigned to work under dr christopher king in obstetrics he was to work with also a surgery resident by the name of ian lorimer swingle accompanied him on his rounds always very attentive and helpful there was one doctor though abdi mezba who was really suspicious of swango upon first meeting him uh he saw that his skills were really poor and he really had undistinct you know vague references which were concerning so who is this dude swango and lorimer became close uh, he was able to read lorimer and latched onto everything he liked and mimicked him 
by saying that uh, he had the same likes and dislikes as him. He lied and said he was 27 when he was 40 and he lo- that he loved to go to church and that he was well-read. Swankel began to attend the Presbyterian church that Lorimer and his wife attended and even started to join weekly Bible study classes <laughs> led by Lorimer and his wife. He even took a 16-week marriage, religious-like marriage counseling course. Like, so he's just like, I'm a religious man now. You know, like, he just totally, you see how he gets in and he latches on yeah. and he reads and he goes, okay, this is how I'm, I'm going to get in. He insinuated himself into the Lorimer's life and he got to know both Mr. and Mrs. Lorimer's parents. He played volleyball with them and tennis on weekly and, and was having Sunday dinners and, and things like that. All his time off, he spent with them and their family. And I just think about these these people. So they're, you know, I mean, this this is a doctor that is working in this hospital to for a residency. Uh, they're, you know, church-going, decent people. Uh, I mean, you can be decent people without church-going, but you yeah. see what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, they're trying to be, you know, good citizens, and they're letting this psycho into their life. I mean, I think they would almost be even more kind of, I don't want to say innocent, but more naive to a guy oh, like him. yeah. Right? Yeah. Moving forward on that, he said to them, oh, I really want to date somebody. I I, uh, I really want to get married. And he was constantly talking about dating, getting married. And they're like, whoa, man, you just got here and, you know, just settle into your yeah. job, that kind of thing. So he had his eyes set on uh, a woman by the name of Rosie Malcolm. And he just kept his eyes on her. Good thing was he never got his, uh, his claws into her because um, when his rotation ended, he had to head back to Manen. Um, and of course he was sent with glowing references. Oh, of course he was. So Dr. Jury was happy to have him back and noted a marked improvement in his skills, but something else had changed. Swango was no longer the charming, eager doctor he first met to all but jury. He was rude, blunt, cold, especially to the nursing staff and the nursing staff were Lutheran nuns. So these are like pretty, you know, Yeah, they're like, who the hell is this asshole? Yeah. But you know, like decent I mean, they're working as nuns. I, I'm probably not getting paid for it. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is this is their... This is what they do. do. This yeah. is their, their life. Yeah. He refused to allow... So, the, the deal is, at that hospital, and I'm sure most hospitals that... Or many hospitals that, when he... When a doctor goes on rounds, the nurses go with them. Yes. Or a nurse. Yeah. And they take down, you know, verbal orders, or they say, you know, give this injection, give this medication. So, they go with them do what the doctor asks, and carry on. He refused to let them go on rounds. Hmm, suspicious, right? Um, And it was hospital policy, like I said. Uh, And so he said no, and he was also overtly racist. And he didn't hide it. In fact, I find this really offensive, and I'm going to say it, and I, I don't mean any offense to anybody saying it, but when he was asked why he wanted to work at such a remote country. He said it, he said, because I like blacks. Like what kind of, <laughs> yeah, that's why just... do you say that? Yeah. How about I want to help impoverish uh, people. So I think it's a dead giveaway when some asshole says I like, and then they pick a specific, um, you know, race culture. Yeah. That's gross. And then he's unbelievably racist uh, openly to these to these women. So hates women and he's racist. So can you imagine what these poor ladies had to deal with? Um, 
So they didn't like him. And they found his ways very strange, especially his visits to the hospital in the middle of the night. No doctor goes to visit and do rounds in the middle of the night when they're not on duty to do so. Yeah, like... The nurses didn't report him because the culture of nursing in that hospital was that nurses, you know, were to do their duties and virtually be seen and not hurt. You know, they, the doctors were God. Wow. On May 24th, 1995, the assaults and deaths from Swango to patients had begun. Rhoda Malavana was recovering very well from burns that she had gotten. And all of a sudden she collapsed and died. And like out of nowhere, just she was in there, got some burns and now boom, collapse, dies. Dr. Jerry accepted Swango's explanation for whatever it was. Another patient by the name of Echinius Mazawa woke up from a nap to find Swango injecting something into him. He suddenly became paralyzed. Even though he could hear and see uh, everything around him, he was paralyzed just like Mrs. Ruth Cooper at Ohio State. When he recovered, he told the nurses that Dr. Mike had injected him with something and he was now terrified and he was afraid to be alone and sleep. Swangle told the nurses that he was hallucinating. However, Mizawa was able to produce the cap of the needle that Swango had dropped. The nurses were now very suspicious of Swango. The patient was very alert and oriented and his story was detailed. And he had proof. He had the, you know, he had the cap of the... Uh, from the needle. But are they going to go on it from that? Like, that's... I, well, I think the nurses be like, well, you know, when we... I don't remember dropping anything when I... Like, you're, you're not... Nurses... I think most people drop a cap and have a needle that's uncapped aren't just going to go and, you know, uh, toss it. They're going to look for that cap. Yeah, of course. Um, Things were quiet, you know, for that next month or so because, okay, well, I've killed two people... Uh, there's some talk about it, so I'm going to just be quiet for a little while. Quiet until June 26, when two more unexpected deaths occurred. One was uh, a Mr. Katazo Shava, who was recovering from leg surgery. He was, this is how bold this piece of shit is, okay? He was surrounded by loved ones when Swango arrived and angrily kicked them all out of the room. He's like, you can't be in here. Boots the whole family out. He drew the curtain around his bed, and injected him with something. Shava's family heard this man scream out in pain and rush back into the room. So whatever they injected him, he injected him with was, like, fucking painful. God knows what it was. Swango hurries. So they rush into the room, and he rushes out of the room and wouldn't answer any of their questions. Shava was crying out and saying, quote, we won't go home together because I'm going to die. The doctor injected me with something and I think I'm going to die. End of quote. So he knew something wasn't right. That's so scary. I can't even imagine. Yeah. He was afraid for his family to leave. He didn't want to be alone. But it, they had to go when visiting hours were over. Yeah, of course. So they came back that afternoon and he was dead. Uh, he had died within hours of the injection. And there was no documentation that an injection had ever been given. At 0230... On June the 27th, Swango woke up Dr. Zuri to tell him that a patient by the name of Philemon Chipoko had suddenly died. He was otherwise healthy, recovering from a foot amputation. 
Swango insisted that his cause of death was uh, pulmonary, cardiopulmonary arrest. Mr. Chipoko's wife had been staying with him at his bedside and sleeping on a bench next to him because they lived so far away she stayed at the hospital with him. She told the nurses that she woke up at 11 p.m. to see Dr. Mike injecting her husband with something. He said nothing to her and left immediately afterwards. Mr. Chipoko died shortly afterwards. So how bold is this guy? Like, his wife is lying on the bench yeah, next to him. Like He sneaks in in the middle of the night, injects the dude, and then he's dead. His wife and nurses were in shock. So many deaths in such a short period of time. So we're looking at, like, four deaths in, like, just over a month. Uh, the nurses... At least they're starting to kind yeah. of be a little suspicious. Yeah. So the nurses knew it was Swango. But Dr. Jury still didn't connect the deaths to Swango. On July 7th, Virginia Samanda, a healthy young pregnant mother, was injected with a pink solution by Swango. She screamed out in pain. She felt that her skin was on fire, that her whole body was burning. She begged to have water poured all over her. Um, She had violent abdominal pains and she felt her baby kicking violently inside of her. And she went immediately into labor. She gave natural birth to this baby while in this horrible pain, but the baby thankfully was born healthy and and she recovered fully. She told the nurses what happened. Um, And when Swingo was recovered, he said, uh, no, I didn't do anything. I don't know what she's talking about. This is number five. Another patient by the name of Stephen uh, Mogul Murray was being treated for an STD. He had seen what, and heard about what was going on in the hospital with Swango and demanded to be discharged. <laughs> He's like, I want out of here. I got an STD, but you know yeah. what? We're going to handle this. But not before Swango came into his room and gave him a painful injection. He left the hospital and died shortly after. The nurses still hadn't reported to uh, th- this to the doctors, Jiri, and also Dr. Lorimer was working there because he'd go there to do surgeries right, and, yeah. or they'd be do, have surgeries at the hospital and go back to the other hospital to recover. They were fearing repercussions and not being believed because of of the cultures between the nurses and doctors, right? Uh, By mid-July, the nursing staff began to fall ill with nausea, vomiting, dizziness, chills, abdominal pain, and headaches. Sounds like the paramedics. Mm, I wonder what was happening there. Mm, A little bit of vamp poison, maybe? Yep. It was chalked up to being uh, malaria or typhoid. Oh, 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 is that all? Yeah, yeah. But... You're fine. It's just a little case of malaria. Or typhoid. But the thing is... In in what would be our summer months is their winter. Yes. So cases of malaria in the wintertime are like nil. And typhoid had all been but eradicated. So the chances of it was like zero or close to zero. So one of the nurses by the name of Edith Naguana died shortly after. So now Dr. Javeri... Um, was becoming concerned. Finally, after uh, oh, how many? Six deaths. Yeah. Two days later, 35-year-old Margaret Zhao, who was being treated for a miscarriage, so she had a miscarriage, they were going into right. sort of like just clean. Like sure. a DNC. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, was otherwise healthy, died on June 20th after being treated by Swango. Seven. So, Dr. Zuri finally did something. He called a staff meeting. And even though the nurses were afraid to report what they had witnessed and what they were told by the patient's families, about Swango, they did. Thank God. Yeah. So good and, for the nuns. And some, um, yeah, they were having none of that. They were. Uh, <laughs> I will have none of it. I'm gonna have none of it. Um, in none of it. 
in none of it. Yeah. Nuns in none of it. Yeah. Some patients were still in the hospital that uh, were either injected or afraid or heard what was going on. And so they were able to be interviewed and give their report on what happened. Yeah. So it wasn't just the nurses. Right. Some of the patients were still there. So Jerry was now terrified uh, that they had a serial killer working for him because they did. Surprise. Yeah. The next day, he contacted the superintendent, Dr. Chakarisa, the Zimbabwe Republic Police, and the commander of the Midlands District Police. And they had an emergency meeting. Dr. Davis Daklama, Jerry's supervisor, and the person who hired Swango attended. So we've got two different police representations, superintendents, commanders, uh, higher-ups, administrators. They're all here. The reaction to Swango's accusations were taken seriously and acted on fast, unlike what happened at Ohio State. Yeah, because, come on. They actually were like, oh, shit. (sighs) Dr. Ducklama wanted the police to move quickly. A search warrant was secured, and the police arrived at Menin Hospital and was briefed by Dr. Jury. Swango was located in the hospital, and when confronted, he acted casually without a worry in the world. He's like, hey, hey, fellas. Hey, what? Hey, guys, what's going on? Yeah. Um, and then he said, oh, you want to talk to me? Why don't you meet me in my bungalow? And then he was given a search warrant. So even though he said you can come in, they're like, well, you know, we've got a search warrant. Oh, we are coming in. We are coming in, and we're looking around. So this is what they found. The bungalow was disgusting. There were dirty, soiled lab coats lying around his own dirty clothes. Who goes home with a filthy, dirty, bloody, God knows what lab coat? I'm surprised he wasn't one of the ones with the STD. Like he, yeah. But this guy was just a gross guy. Even though on appearances he looked like, oh, there's clean cut hands. He was gross. He was absolutely gross. A pig. Um, uh, there were like the kitchen was filthy. It was just a dirty, disgusting place. They also found several patient charts and x-rays. He had a whole list of patient names, which makes me wonder if he was like picking his Planning. victim. Yeah. yeah. And there was an extensive supply of drugs and medical equipment. Calciprise. The drugs were supposed to be stored in the pharmacy, obviously. Yeah. He had hundreds of bottles of medications. Um, 46 of them were unopened. I mean, sorry, 46 of them were opened. So he had hundreds of bottles, but why did he have 46 opened already? Yeah. And what does it say what these were? Yes. Adrenaline, epinephrine, ephedrine, um, valium, xylocaine, nuprocanol, and potassium chloride. All of which are are deadly in In, overdose. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can say overdose on anything, it'll kill you, but it... We're talking like not much. No. You yeah. know, overdose in their, you know, very specific actions on the body, easy to. E- epinephrine can cause a lot of um, cardiac. Events. Oh, yeah, big time. So that's, I guess, like, who knows? These people are having massive heart attacks. Like, for instance, epinephrine is a drug called a vasopressor. And what it does is it squeezes the, um, the blood vessels. Yeah. It raises the heart rate or and also it raises the blood pressure so if people come in and they have a really low uh blood pressure 
whatever it is causing it, it will like raise that blood pressure up, yeah. get that heart beating. But it's also good for opening up the airways in the lungs and stuff like that. Yeah. So if you have a allergic reaction, it'll like that's what an epipen is. Ep- epipens have the epinephrine in them. They're just yeah, you know. So you have an allergic reaction, and your lungs are like squeezing tight. It opens them up, right? And right, and it gets that heart rate, you know, the the blood pressure going and stuff like that. So if you can imagine, if you don't need it. Oh God! It can be- when you're given it, your blood pressure is going to go through the roof. Uh, like just uh, it, it. Well, it, it can kill you. Uh, same with potassium. Potassium chloride is like rust in a like, uh, you know, like a cog. Like it just just stops it dead. It's scary. Yeah. That he's got all this. So I mean, so you know, just right on his fingertips. So why does he have to have it all in his room? Well, I, I think it's because he prepares it in there, puts it in the syringe. He does all his research because he wants to find the most efficient and maybe most painful uh, way of, of killing people. I, like, it's, I'm pretty sure he's just like, all right, if I do this and this or if I try this, like it's all his sick, twisted little head. So um, they also found used syringes. And they said to him, why do you have used syringes? And this is what he said. Because it's safe to use used syringes in Africa. What? The actual fox? Uh, were those syringes that he was injecting people with and bringing them home? Probably. But the fact, you know, that he has used syringes and then he says, well, it's safe to use them here in Africa. Oh, because the people in Africa don't deserve yeah, that's clean syringes. Disgusting. Like, what a fucking scumbag like there's some things that he says and does that just makes me so sick yeah when i hear that i'm just like fuck you (sighs) so his uh miranda rights were read and uh and he said he wouldn't talk anymore until he hired a lawyer his medical privileges were uh suspended Yeah. yeah immediately and he wasn't allowed to enter any hospital wards as if nothing happened the day before, Swango showed up in Jerry's office and said, what's happening? Like, all that happened the day before. And he's like, so so what's happening? Wow. What do you mean what what's happening? Like, first of all, I, you remember before when they invited him into, he said, oh, you can go, uh, he was arrested for the poison. He's yeah. like, yeah, you can go check out my apartment. Knowing all that stuff was there. Right. And then again, he's like, yeah, you can come in the bungalow, knowing all the stuff was there. Like, I can't wrap my head around why he was just like, yeah. So, like, you guys can see all this stuff. Like, like, I don't know if he he's wanted just, like, to get caught. Maybe. Or if he's arrogant and he's cocky and he's like, I've got an explanation. Like, it's almost like he was pushing it just to, you see know. See how far he could get yeah, it. I don't know. Like, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but I don't know if it'll ever make sense to no. us, right? Yeah, I mean, We exactly. don't think that way. No. Um, so, yeah, he goes and he's like, like, he's surprised. Like, it's like nothing happened the day before. So Jerry told him that uh, he was under investigation for the deaths and injuries uh, to patients. And then he pouted and said, people are against me. They think I'm killing patients and it's not true. Jerry didn't believe him, of course. And uh, Swango left his office. A full investigation was launched. In mid-August, Dr. Dakalama received a letter from Swango warning him this. That something nasty was going to show up on his desk from Menin. And that um, if his suspension remained in effect, he said the Menen doctors and the mission will have to bear the consequences. So he set, sent a threatening letter saying, hire me back or else. Love, Swango. Yeah, XOXO. Even though Swango threatened Duck Lama, he 
did not have the, the authority to suspend his license to practice medicine in Zimbabwe. So as much as he wanted to, he didn't have the power to suspend his license. But it's not like he was going to get hired back either. No. On October 13th, the Lutheran Church, who technically hired Swango, personally delivered a termination letter to him, also informing him of a pending investigation by the Ministry of Health and Child Welfare. Swango was given a week to leave the grounds, but he was gone within a couple of days. Fearful that Swango would exact revenge, um, Ziri, Dr. Ziri quit, and Dr. Larson uh, moved him and his family back to Sweden. So I said Dr. Lorimer earlier was one of the surgeons working there, but it was actually a Dr. Larson, so I, I stand corrected on that. But he actually like was like, okay, when my residence Bye. is over, I'm out of here with my family. I'm moving back to Sweden. Like He scared them that much. Uh, the nurses, although relieved that Swango was gone, were also terrified of retribution. Uh, people stopped going to the hospital and turned to traditional healers for care. And Which that's is, just such a tragedy. Yeah. I mean, traditional he- healing has its place, like any Absolutely. holistic medicine. Yeah. But, I mean, if your appendix are about to burst or you need an amputation... You need to go to the hospital. Yeah, exactly. Um, so people stopped going to the hospital. Doctors would not work there. So, I mean, it was a travesty overall because he, he scared them all, which I'm sure he absolutely loved that. So now, what does Swango do? What he always does when he gets fired, he hires a lawyer. He hired David Coltart, which was Zimbabwe's most prominent human rights lawyer. I'm, 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 getting, I'm coming in hot now. She is coming in I'm hot. so glad that this is over soon. He was given the suggestion from the surgical resident who he had befriended before, Dr. Lorimer. How he, remember, he got into the, yeah. their family and stuff. Yeah. And Dr. Lorimer was like, oh, you, you need to go to this guy. And all he said to Lorimer was that something had gone wrong. He didn't tell him anything else. He just said something had gone really wrong there. And I, I, I you know, my rights were <clears throat> violated. Know, exactly. So it's like, oh, go to the best of the best. Swango, however, came up with a great story for Coltart, full of lies, but with some truths to help it sound authentic. Right. That's what good liars do. He said that he was unlawfully fired, accused unfairly with no proof and targeted when all he had done was have a few medications in his bungalow. He also said he was being discriminated against for being white. You think that a smart man like David Coltart would see right through this, but no. In September, Coltart wrote a letter to the police stating that it was a miscarriage of justice and he was wrongfully fired. In October, Swango received a letter from the Lutheran Church terminating his employment without any specific reasons why. Coltart jumped all over this and said it was an illegal. Um, it was unle- it was illegal under Zimbabwe law. So Swango might be able to go work again. In this hospital. In the Menin Hospital. Or elsewhere. So, Swango was playing David Coltart, and he was buying it. Swango said he wanted to work at the Mapilo Hospital again with Dr. Lorimer and Dr. Oliver. So, remember when he was sent to that hospital for training? Yeah. For five months? Yeah. So, he's like, yeah, I want to go back work there. He gets hired back there. Oh, my God. This guy's got a... I don't even know. They gave him glowing references, and Dr. Cheva hired him back. Uh, wow. He did inquire uh, to Swango uh, about Swango's Dr. Jury, but all he said was that Swango was under investigation and nothing else. 
He didn't tell them anything else because he was afraid that Swango was going to kill him. Cheva inquired no further, and Swango's license to practice medicine was still in effect. Cheva restored Swango's hospital privileges, and he started to work again at the Mapilo Hospital. Wow. He moved into a room in the hospital that was used as a resting room for overnight doctors. It was not to be used as an apartment. So it was a place where doctors can go have a nap while they're on shift. Yeah. So he turned it into an apartment for himself. Oh. It had a private bath, a separate entrance, and it also provided immediate and subtle access to the hospital wards at any hour of the day. By actually living at the hospital, Swango could now have access to any and all patients in the hospital without even being noticed by the members of the staff. And how did they not notice that he had made this little apartment for himself? Because, I mean, it's what, it's what he does, you know? Like, Swango resumed his lovely little life with the, in a, a Boliwalu, um, the weekly prayer meetings, the volleyball and tennis and dinner parties, and also continued to pursue a girlfriend. He even babysat the Lorimer's infant daughter, Ashley. Yeah, he babysat their baby. He was a wonderful doctor, working for free, long hours at the hospital, and he all of a sudden became a, a patient advocate, fighting for their rights. And he was charming and handsome to boot. <sighs> I could just... Yeah, it just pisses you right off. Oh, my God. However, a local newspaper published a story about an expat doctor experimenting on patients. There were no names or locations given, so it couldn't really be drawn to him. Uh, it didn't seem like anyone at the Mapilo Hospital thought much of it, and let alone that it was Swango. Lorimer's mother um, had... Okay, so Lorimer's... Dr. Lorimer's mother, who knew Swango quite well, had lunch with someone from the Ministry of Health who informed her that, in fact, it was Swango that had been accused and fired. Uh, she took this to her son, and he said that he didn't believe it and that Swango was being framed. When Lorimer asked Swango about it, he acted shocked and surprised, like, what are you talking about? I don't know anything about this. The more that came out about Swango, right. the more they believed that Swango was, in fact, the victim of racism. <sighs> so mysterious deaths at the hospital started to begin. I'm just going to name off some. A man with an incarcerated hernia who was fully recovering died. Someone who had come in with burns, who was fully recovering, died. A 14-year-old recovering from a car accident, died. Several others were uh, poisoned and, uh, and died. All with no explanation and all closely or loosely related to Swango. One of the physicians, Dr. Cotton, knowing about the rumors at the Menin Hospital and his, uh, had growing concerns uh and told them to Dr. Lorimer. Right. At this time, Swango was stalking a family friend at Lorimer's, Leanne Payne, who had just separated from her husband. So he's still hanging out with the Lorimer's, a family friend, just got separated from his husband, her, her husband. husband. So she's, you know, she's, you know, a little bit more um, vulnerable. Exactly. That's the word I'm looking for. So he zones in right on her and starts harassing her. Like, call me, call me, call me, date me, date me, date me, date me, all that kind of stuff. Uh, 
They started to date soon after, and Swango dominated her every move. So he, like, right away, like, his personality was coming out because he started to dominate this this oh, woman. Yeah. Um, he, he would spoke, speak for her, so it would be like, how are you doing today, Leanne? Oh, she's doing just great. So uh, same thing you he know, did to exactly. Kristen. And this was very disturbing to Leanne's friends and family, um, especially to the Lorimers and in their immediate family and friends. So now that Swango was feeling more comfortable, so he's got his job back, he's got a place to live, he's got people that he's murdering regularly, he's got a chick at at his side, right? Oh, he's having a great time. Yeah, so so now his guard is down, and he's now starting to rear his ugly head. Um... He started to talk nonstop about his interests in gory movies and serial killers and violence and death. Now, remember, these are very religious people. Yeah, so they're going to take this a little more seriously. They're like, what? <clears throat> yeah. Swingle also pushed forward with a lawsuit against the uh, Lutheran Church, even though his lawyer uh, thought it was unnecessary. He's like, look, we're, we're fighting for this. Now, you don't have to do an absolute lawsuit against them, right? Um, but things started to crumble for him again. Yay! A reporter caught wind that there was a white doctor who had worked in Menin and was not only working at the Mapilo Hospital, he was also living there. When the reporter questioned Cheva, Dr. Cheva, it led to a series of events that revealed all the truth to both Cheva and the reporter. And a big story was released and Swango was fired. Finally, we're getting near the end here. Swango was now desperate and was looking for a place to live. He asked a woman by the name of Paulette O'Hare for help. Uh, He knew her from the Bible study classes that he had taken. She was friends with the Lorimers. Paulette called her mother Lynette, who was, um, you know, an older, well-off woman living alone. And she suggested that uh, she let uh, Swango move in with her to to help him out and to give her company. Swango said he was a doctor working at McPilo Hospital and that he was 27 years old and that he loved doing charity work. And, of course, she found him, what, charming and well-read and funny and all that other crap. Right. She said he could move in for 800 bucks a month for room and board and that uh, he could pick any room in the house. So what room did he pick? The one very next to hers. You know? uh, Yeah. Swango was incredibly rude and demanding to the staff. She uh, had to... um, people working for her and O'Hare's opinion of him started to change uh, pretty quick. He never went to work. Um, And when eventually Leanne, thank God broke up with him. Like she's like, "Uh, I'm out. And she probably saved her own life by by doing this. Right. Um, He became even more dark and strange. He asked Mrs. O'Hare to call Lauren on his behalf. Right. But she's like, I'm not doing that. I don't even know her. So he got pissed off, stomped up the stairs, slammed the door, and didn't leave the room for eight days. Like, he just, like, F you. When he did leave his room eventually, he was hostile, often embarrassing Mrs. O'Hare when she had guests over. Like, he was just a total pig to them. He got worse and worse with the staff. Like, really bad. And, like, flat-out racist. And he was demanding this for breakfast every day. He wanted two eggs, two pieces of toast, and a pound of bacon for breakfast every day. Okay. Go cook it yourself, yeah, piece well, of shit. No, they would deliver it to him, right? And he would be like, leave it in front of my door. So, but he would never let them in to clean the room. Finally, one day when he was out, they went into his room to clean. And what did they find? Hundreds of bacon sandwiches. What? 
He had taken all those, the bread and the bacon, bacon. Yeah. wrapped them up into tiny, perfect little packages and had them stored. Like hundreds of them were stored in his room, not eaten. It was just a disgusting room, shit everywhere. Ew. That's just so weird. Bacon sandwiches are only going to last so long. Like that's... I know, but like, why is he making one pound bacon sandwiches, wrapping them and leaving? Like, what is that all about? I don't know, but I, I do have to say on a side note that I wouldn't mind a pound of bacon on a sandwich. I'm just throwing that out there. I wouldn't have hundreds, but I wouldn't mind a pound of bacon on, on a sandwich. sandwich. Okay, well, I'll have an AED ready for you after Thank you read you it. Thank you very much, yeah. <laughs> Phew. Some <laughs> epinephrine. <laughs> she had had enough of this guy uh she was well connected um and went to one of her friends uh who was also a lawyer and told him all about swango and he's like get him out of your house um because you know swango wasn't paying rent he was rude and abusive to staff he was a slob he talked constantly about serial killers and violent deaths he was just like he was scary this, yeah this dude um, and the staff, you know, being like a small area started to hear stuff and they're like, he, he's the murderer. Like he's, he's the guy. Yeah. Like there's something up. Uh, yeah. And so, and her friends were saying, I think the guy in your house is this guy. Um, and, and he was also like, uh, invading her space. Right. They would also often find like, she'd go out and they'd find him upstairs standing in her bedroom, like staring off into space. Like creepy. Yeah. Um, now, funny enough, Mrs. O'Hare's health started to decline like all the others uh, that he had poisoned. The same symptoms. He began taking over the house and the car. And finally, she had enough. And she reached out to this lawyer friend again. And uh, he said, like, you've got to get him out of there. And um, he arrived that evening to help her kick him out of the house. And so they evicted him. Uh, and he had a little temper tantrum and left. Yeah, he's pissed. So he had also been dating another woman at the time by the name of Joanne, and she took him in right away. She's like, oh, poor you. Of course, he lied about what happened at Mrs. O'Hare's. He said that she was nuts and had gone crazy and kicked him out. Poor him, poor him. The day after he left the house, he attended the hearing for the lawsuit against the Lutheran Church. And he won a settlement for $35,000. Oh, my God. But he never picked it up. Because two days after the hearing, he found out that the police were looking for him. And he freaked. Swangle told Joanna that he needed to go on a vacation. And he took off. On June 27, 1997, an immigration official at O'Hare International Airport in Chicago took the passport from a Michael Swangle. He was on his way to Duran, Saudi Arabia. <laughs> he was flagged for outstanding federal charges. While Swango was gone, the FBI started investigating Swango for the numerous possible homicides. He felt they felt that he was responsible for at least 60 deaths. Jesus Christ. Um, and his MO was always the same. Yeah. You know, the poisonings, the drug, whatever. Yeah. And although the FBI wanted a psychological examination done on Swango, he refused. He felt that he was completely sane and saw no reason for it. How can he refuse that, though? I don't understand how that can be refused. He just doesn't have to answer questions, right? Like, doesn't, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, I got it. So the FBI and all that were involved were confident that he was a psychopath with or without a proper Clearly, assessment. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
But what about, I'm thinking, what about doing a psychological profile on the fucking healthcare system? Yeah. Maybe it's a little ill. Just a touch. Yeah. So. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. So now they had Swango on fraud charges, which he pled guilty to. He got a three and a half year sentence. Okay, so he could get out in three and a half years. Yeah. The FBI didn't have anything on him for any of the murders. No um, evidence, physical evidence. And they had less than three and a half years to get some evidence. Because um, if he got out, like I said, he could poison, kill. Oh, yeah. M- maybe work as a doctor, paramedic. Yeah. You know, he could get in somehow. I mean, all he would need to do is even work in the hospital at some level. Yeah. So they exhumed three bodies of the patients from the VA hospital in New York. They had an autopsy done on Baron Harris after he died, and they still had, um, like, tissue samples and blood samples from him. Um, All of them had poison in their bodies. They had found evidence that Swango had lied about the death of Cynthia Ann McGee. She was the young girl that was the cheerleader. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, He claimed that she had uh, suffered a heart attack, but it turned out that he had injected her with enough potassium chloride to stop her heart. So he admitted to that. Oh, he admitted to it? Eventually, yeah. Okay, yeah. So the scientists worked nonstop to find uh, proof uh, from the t- from the samples taken um, from the exhumed bodies and the autopsy bodies. The o- and it was, like, really difficult and tedious. I mean, you could do a whole story on what they actually did. There was actually two scientists that went nuts on this. And they weren't able to find the poisons. What they were able to find is the components of the poisons. And these components can only be found in these poisons. Wow. So he's... So if like salt and pepper <clears throat> could only be found in Kool-Aid. Are we talking about salt and pepper or salt and pepper? <laughs> salt and pepper. Okay. No, but think about it. If, if, if you were poisoned with Kool-Aid. Right. But you couldn't find the Kool-Aid. But salt and pepper is only ever found in Kool-Aid. But then you would know And they Kool-Aid. found the salt and pepper. Right. They're like, yeah, he did it. Because yeah. it couldn't be found anywhere else. Right. Just, you know, kind of my silly example. They... <laughs> They were able to do this within two days of him getting out of uh, prison. So it took them three and a half years. Yeah. He was going to be released in two days and they finally got the evidence to charge him. (sighs) It came down to two days. Like, hallelujah for you, man. Yeah. Like, wow. And this was the FBI. Yeah. And then all the labs and scientists that were working to help them. Right. So, yeah. So just days before his release from fraud charges, uh, he they they were able to to nail him uh, in July 2000. He was uh, charged with the murders of Thomas uh, Samarco, George Ciano, and Aldo Serini, along with uh, assault against Baron Harris. All patients from the VA hospital in Long Island. He was also charged with the 1984 murder of Cynthia McGee from Ohio State Hospital. Wow. The Swangles also, uh, Swango also had diaries uh, in which he talked about how much he loved murdering people. So they were. Where did they find these? I'm not exactly sure. I don't know if he was actually writing them while he was in prison or how they got a hold of them, but the diaries, you know, he confessed to right. enjoying uh, murdering people. Uh, in October 2000, Swango pleaded guilty to three counts of murder and was given three life sentences. Initially, he pled non, not guilty. But he faced extradition to Zimbabwe, where he was going to face the death penalty for five people. And he's like, nope, I'll take my chances here. And uh, pled guilty. So, 
why could they not have sent him to Zimbabwe? Because wouldn't you much rather him go to Zimbabwe and face the death penalty? Like, wouldn't you think that that would be something well, that these people would want to do? But you want to you want to get justice for your own people in your own country. I would think, I, understandably. But oh yeah, I mean, I'm all over. Hey, let's let's get him out of here and get him like kill him, right? Yeah. But you know, I, I hear you. Uh, he is in car. Uh, so in the end, he still got to choose. Like yeah. he's, in the end, he still got to choose, yep. and that makes me insane. None of his victims got to choose. No. He is incarcerated at Supermax ADX Florence near Florence, Colorado, spending 23 hours in solitary confinement every day. And this facility is known as the Alcatraz of the Rockies. Now, was that his choice to be in solitary or is that them putting him well, in solitary? Well, he was actually at another uh, prison. I think it was in Virginia and he had gotten assaulted there and he asked to be sent to this more difficult prison. So oh, God, do anybody to hurt me. So he gets sent to this other prison. And kept in solitary in solitary confinement. No. I see I don't think that's right. I don't think somebody should be able to re- request that. Yeah, well, I mean, like he got he still has choices and he's still trying to, you know, you know, throw his weight around, so to speak. Right. He is now sixty-four years old. And I'm gonna end this by saying hopefully someone will slip something into his food one day. I hope it's I honestly hope it's worse than that. I hope he I hope he suffers. I really do. Well, the fact that he can't murder, he can't manipulate. Right. Uh, he only gets an hour a day by himself. He doesn't get to talk to anybody. You know, um, I don't know what he gets in terms of books. Does he have a TV? I don't know any of that stuff. But he well, can't do the things that he wants to do. I got to tell you. So this is uh, just like I've never been to prison or anything other than I did go to Kingston Penn. And uh, it was closed already. Kingston Penitentiary is a jail in Kingston, Ontario. And it was a... Uh, you went on a tour there, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was a supermax jail. It's a, a notorious uh, prison in Canada. So, like, a lot of big names I spent time there. Yeah. So, I go. We're looking at cells. And some of the cells were set up as they were, you know... Suppo- like, back in the day. They, yeah, yeah, back in the day. TVs. Uh, you name it. They had it in their cells. And I was like, what? Like, you're having kind of the luxuries of home minus the people. How is this a... Punishment? Exactly. I guess it's good enough never to go outside again. I I don't know. I don't don't get it. I mean, some of them have... uh, What do you call those visits? Conjugal. Yeah. Well, let me tell you. So... When we went out to kind of like where you go outside from. Like, I don't think you should be able to stick your PP in anything nice again. No, I don't think so at all either. But they had these little houses so that families could come and spend a weekend and they could have their their visits. And I'm just like, this blows my mind. You've done something to end up in prison. And I'm not talking little things like murderers and stuff. I'm talking murderers and rapists and, you know, like people like that. I'm, I'm saying like you made people suffer you've done horrible things to people why are you allowed <laughs> these luxuries it's I, I don't understand it i don't i don't think it's right um i believe in like them if getting therapies if they're like legit like if there's music therapy or there's like counseling where they can sit I around and like Fine. do that kind of shit to better themselves uh educate themselves but not like free reign and to be able to google whatever the hell they want and get onto porn now here's a big you question. know whatever you know that yeah. kind of shit Here's a big question for you, and you don't have to answer it. But do you believe if somebody, let's say a murderer, okay, he's done this, he's killed 60 people. We know he's killed 60 people. 
Okay. Do you believe that if he, in while in jail, in prison, tried to turn his life around, do you believe in forgiveness in that sense? I don't believe he should ever be let out. I do not believe that either. And I don't think that I should have to forgive. I think I owe it to myself to live as healthy and free a life, free from pain, um, free from, uh, like, to heal. Right. So I have that right to forgive or not to forgive. Like I said, I've gone through some stuff. Um, I don't believe I have forgiven, but I've definitely moved past a whole heck of a lot of it. Oh, or absolutely. I would be in an alley somewhere right now, probably, or maybe not even alive. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to go there and get all deep and crazy with it. But uh, no, I don't. I, I think it's an individual thing, whether he's forgiven or not, but he should never be let out. I, I you can do more, I, good in the hospital. I mean, you are punished for what you did. Why yeah. should you catch a break? Okay, I have. Here's the thing. There's the uh, three strike law uh, in the U.S. Uh, basically, three strikes are out. I don't know if it's in all the the states. Right. So someone, hopefully you guys can uh, sort me out with this or if it's in specific states. But I think if you're charged with a felony three times, that that's it. You're 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 gone for life. Now, these felonies may be uh, like the person is a drug addict and and. Um, and like uh, broken or held up three Seven Elevens. Right now you're gone for life. You're gone for life. Versus a serial killer. But is it like so for me? It's like uh, if they got some conjugal visits, am I going to lose like sleep over that? No. If they have TV to watch, am I going to lose sleep, lose sleep over that? No, because we're not taking in the socioeconomic factors. We don't know that this kid hasn't been living on the streets since he was 10 and horribly abused and got into drugs to cope and then found themselves in a really bad situation and now is put away for life when maybe just someone loved him and took him under their wing and helped them. They wouldn't be in this situation. So I'm like, I'm okay with that. Right. It's so hard. I think everything has to be dealt with individually. But you ask me if some people deserve the death penalty. I'm going to say yeah. I'm going to say yes, too. And maybe it's because you and I have seen too many bad things in what we've done. Yeah. We've seen too many bad people survive while good people die because of their shitty actions. Like, I believe that Swango should have, you know, dealt with consequences here or in the United States. But then I think he should have got... Like, he should have been sent back to Zimbabwe, and he should have gotten the death penalty. Yeah, and if you think about all of it, it was Zimbabwe that did more than anybody did in the U.S. Not, yeah. Yeah. Like, that... And they me, did it on, like, first go-around. Right. Like, we're not talking, oh, he went to this hospital, this hospital, blah, 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 and then the FBI yeah, caught no. on. And not for murders, for fraud. Right. Um, they're just like, nope. Yep. Right. Like they were, though he still was able through his manipulation and bullshit, uh, continue on. Right. Uh, you know, a little bit further uh, and kill more people, which is disgusting. Um, that's beyond that. Uh, but it's like they, they, they got on it right away. Yeah. So this is a poor, impoverished country. Uh, you know, yeah, fuck that. They're doing a way better job, way than, better job. than what was being done at the time. Right. I can't nail the American healthcare system now, and I can't nail it as a whole, but I can say to all of those that were involved, shame on you. Yeah. And you're fucking partially responsible for the deaths and injuries of those to those people. To those people and their loved ones. Yeah, absolutely. And that's me on my high horse. That's Karen coming in hot. Nay, nay. I'm squeezing my thighs a little too tight on my high horse. She is. She really is. <laughs> the poor horse. 
<laughs> and so we're not high. No name. And we are not high. Yeah. Karen said it first, guys. Oh, okay. So let's uh, let's sum this up. I'm tired of, of Swango. Yeah, it's Karen. I think looks my, like a weight just lifted right off your yeah, shoulders. My shirt I'm wearing is red, and I think my face is just a shade lighter. Just a, a shade oh. lighter. My head hurts right now. Yeah, I wouldn't. Oh, I'll give you some Advil in a week. <laughs> we are sponsored by Advil. Advil. What was the other thing? Tylenol. No, it was Advil and I forget. Advil and Depends undergarments. No, it wasn't that. It should be Depends. Undergarments. <laughs> Let's be honest. After that, Karen pulled a little prank on me last week, and uh, it, it. Let's just say. I thought she needed Depends um, after the little it's prank that It's called liquid pulled. ass. Get yourself a bottle and have some fun. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Erica was so it good reads. about it. She was like, are you okay? Do you want a shower? Do you want some clean track pants? Oh, you were so good. You were no fun because you were so nice. I wanted you to be like, fuck you, Karen. What the hell's wrong with your ass? You she, stink. It did. Because you not know your lie. voice is exactly like this. It's just an old person's voice. I like when we do each other voices, though. <laughs> Me too. I'm Erica. I'm Karen. <laughs> <laughs> it, I'm happy. We it, This is done. I'm happy it's over. I, I mean, I really d- did like researching it. I did like digging into it. I did like bringing certain things forward. We got to keep our knowledge up and above and about this stuff. I, I think there's parts of this that we discuss domestic abuse and, and, and you know, maybe it helps bring light to some things. And yeah. just brings light to the fact that, like, if something seems not right, if your spidey senses are tingling and your gut's just not right, maybe... Maybe just keep in the back of your head, not being paranoid or have conspiracy theory, but think, you know what? This does happen and it can happen. Yeah. And let's just be like as um, uh, vigilant as we possibly can. Yeah. So this guy got away with far too much. He slipped through the cracks far too many times. Too many things were covered up and it was all mostly in the name of covering their own asses and being negligent. And uh, may he die soon in prison. I hope he does, and uh, I hope, you know, somebody in there has, un- like, understands what he did to all these people and... Uh, tampers with his food. Tampers with, yeah. Before we end, I have got to say that I want to give a thank you to Candy Girl 825 Hey there, candy girl. Isn't there a candy somewhere inside? Uh, <laughs> thank you. It's our iTunes review from Candy, and I really appreciate it. And Erica, yes, we have to do a song for our newest Patreon supporter. Give it to me, Shannon Michaud. Shannon Michaud. Shout. Shout, Shannon Michaud. These are the things we appreciate about you, Shannon. Michaud, Shannon. Thank you, Shannon. Now that's your song. That's awesome. That that is your song. (laughs) Look for it at the. What do they do? Not Oscars. What? What? Grammys. 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 That'll be. uh, Probably be a hit. So, everybody who supports us on Facebook listeners itunes reviews Everybody. and patreon thank you so thank much you. for all your support and if you have a few extra bucks that you can throw our way uh go check out our patreon page stat trauma pod uh stat shocking shocking traumas and treatments and there are some uh, good bonuses on there including coming in hot coming, coming in hot, hot. 
where we uh, come in hot. And uh, there's also extra episodes for Placebo Infect and much more. So thank you, everybody. Thank you. This has been a long episode, and there's a lot more amazing, fun things. Just you wait and see. And serious stuff. We've got a whole page of stuff we want to talk about. Yeah, just wait. It's going to be good. Okay. So take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. Love yourself. Be kind, rewind. Peace. One love. True crime and it gets none realer. Sometimes it'll be the cure that'll kill you. Gotta watch out, yeah, you gotta watch your back. Cause you don't wanna be another episode on stat. Thank you for tuning in, learn a thing or two. These medical mysteries can be unbelievable, yeah. Subscribe, make sure you do that so you'll be tuned in and be ready for the next show. Stack.